0: Well, Good morning. It is indeed a beautiful morning. Uh, We had some rain come through last night, some howling winds kept uh, some of us up, no doubt, but uh, it is beautiful out there right now, so enjoy the precursor to the wonderful spring weather that we hope to be seeing uh, more regularly in the coming weeks. This morning, uh, before we begin uh, the message, uh, I just wanted to alert you uh, about an email that was sent out this past week from the church, kind of giving you an update on the Ukrainian situation, how new life... Uh, is contributing to the needs that are represented there both in the way of bibles as well as humanitarian aid we also included a few links there uh, if you and we hope that you would be interested and desirous um, to help contribute as well uh, you may have another organization already that you've been working with but we gave you a few there so I would encourage you uh, to do that there is great need there in that country and uh, The need is just growing. If you've uh, paid attention to the news, um, you now not only have refugees leaving Ukraine, you have refugees leaving Russia. And so uh, there's a lot going on, so we need to continue to pray for them. And uh, even as we talk about their need, we can't lose sight of the fact that we have great need here as well. Um, Not just uh, in dealing with the, the poor and the homeless, but really the greatest need of all, and that's the need for Jesus. And uh, that's why we gather here each Sunday. To celebrate what God has been doing throughout the week and to be equipped to be on mission with him in the world. We are the instruments that God wants to use to make a difference and to meet that greatest need of all. So as uh, we get ready to start this morning, let me pray for us. Father, we do come before you um, humbly asking that you would do what only you can do in Ukraine. Lord, you know um, what has befallen the people. You know what they're going through. You are not a stranger to suffering yourself. So, Lord, we know that you being a merciful and gracious and loving God, um, that, Lord, you are walking through the fire with these people. And I pray, Lord, that you would comfort them with the comfort that only you can give And that you would um, allow for other nations, other peoples to be able to contribute, to give, and um, to minister to these people whom we have never met. Many of which are our brothers and sisters in Christ. And Lord, as they uh, endeavor to proclaim the gospel in, in a situation that we might think, why would anybody even want to listen to it? Lord, there are people who are just so hungry for hope and for truth. And we pray that you would uh, use them to further your kingdom. And Lord, we, we pray uh, for a, a quick end to the bloodshed. And Father, this morning, as we look to your word, we ask that you would meet our needs, that you would help us to understand more about you, more about ourselves, more about the mission that you've called us to, and that Lord, that we would be sold out to that. So, Father, I pray that you would help me as I uh, bring forth your word, and uh, pray this all in Jesus' name, amen. Um, any of you guys read, I don't even know if it's still out, because I haven't gotten a newspaper in I don't know how long, but, but have any of you still read the Peanuts cartoons? Did anybody ever? See? You can still find them online, and of course, you know you have the holiday specials. But a while ago, there was a peanuts comic strip that had Lucy, Linus, and Charlie Brown um, outside, and they're they're looking up and they're looking up at the clouds. And Lucy says that you can see a lot of things in the clouds, and then she turns to Linus and says, "Linus, what do you see?" And Linus says, "Well." Those clouds up there look to me like a map of Belize, that small, tiny country in the Caribbean. Those clouds over there, well, they look like the profile of Thomas Eakins. I have no idea who he is. But he says here he's the famous painter and sculptor. And that cloud formation over there gives me the impression of the stoning of Stephen. Why? I can see Saul of Tarsus standing to one side. Lucy said, "Uh, okay, (laughs) good. And and what do you see, Charlie Brown? Charlie Brown's response was, well, uh, I was going to say a ducky and a horsey, but I've changed my mind. (laughs) You can imagine why. But this humorous cartoon highlights the fact that when we look at the clouds, what we see is only limited by our imagination. But as I was thinking about this story, I was thinking that it also reminds me of the necessity for us to have eyes of faith, to see what we can't see in the natural. And that's kind of what's going on here in the middle portion of chapter 4, verses 27 through 42. If you remember last week, we uh, introduced uh, Jesus' trip to Samaria, where he encounters a woman at the well, a Samaritan woman, an outcast, an immoral woman, and he engages her in conversation and ultimately reveals himself to her. Now, if you remember from earlier back in the chapter, the disciples had gone into town to get food. And so in John chapter 4, verses 27 through 42, Jesus now turns his attention away from the woman to his disciples um, who've just returned with some food. And it is here that Jesus tells his disciples to lift up your eyes and to see that the fields are white for harvest. So Jesus is not only helping his disciples to see the spiritual harvest before them, but he is revealing to them and to us that true satisfaction and fulfillment only comes from doing God's will and accomplishing his work. So if you have your Bibles, open up to John chapter 4. We'll read through verse 30 to begin with. Just then, his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman. But no one said, what do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me all I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And they went out of the town and were coming to him. Now, the disciples, um, when they came and saw Jesus talking with the woman, uh, the ESV says that they marveled that he was talking with a woman. Um, Actually, they were amazed. They were astonished. The New Living Translation says that the disciples um, were shocked that he was talking with a woman. And we talked a little bit about this last week. And remember, the woman herself says, wait a minute, why are you talking to me? Jews and Samaritans, we, we don't get along. We don't have conversations. And especially a Jewish man with a, a woman and a Samaritan woman at that and an immoral Samaritan woman at that. And so, no wonder the disciples were shocked. This was the culture that they grew up in. This was their mindset. You know, it's, it's an amazing thing when you, when you think about this. But, you know, when they encountered Jesus, we don't, we don't often think about it like this. But before you can write on a blackboard, you've got to erase everything that's already on there. Jesus had a, a tremendous task In erasing a lot of things that the disciples grew up believing and feeling so that he could leave his imprint on them. Verse 28 says that she left her water jar and went back into town. And given that that was the very reason why she came out to the well to begin with, was to get water, uh, I imagine she left in a hurry and with much excitement. Why? Because... I think I just met the Christ, I think I just met the messiah i 've got to go back and tell other people i 've got to go tell everybody in town who I have just met before Jesus leaves the region. Why? because she wants them to meet him too. Last week, if you remember i I said that if you doubt that if god that that God can use you to lead others to Jesus. I said, just go ahead and read verses 27 through 42. I hope that that you did that. Because in these verses, we see how God uses this immoral Samaritan woman to point others to Jesus. And it's all because she had an encounter with Jesus. She couldn't help but tell other people about him. That was the impact meeting Jesus had on her. And what makes it even more amazing is that she went back to the very townspeople who held her in contempt. Now that's a little convicting too, isn't it? We have a hard time sometimes going to people we love, let alone our enemies or the people who take a dim view of us. They're probably the last people we want to go talk to. But this is where the woman goes. And, and the passage reveals the power of testimony, the power of invitation. Now, we might be tempted to think that this woman was the first you know, female evangelist. But that's overstating things. And it's completely missing the point. There's nothing extraordinary about her. She isn't gifted as an, as an evangelist as far as we can see. She doesn't say much, at least that what's recorded here in Scripture. I'm not even sure she was converted at this point because she asks the question, can this be the Christ? There seems to be some uncertainty still in her heart. Nonetheless, God uses her to tell other people about Jesus and then invites them to come and see. So while the woman was in town, the disciples were getting ready for a picnic. Let's continue reading verse 31. It says, Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him something to eat? And Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. See, the disciples had gone into town to get some Chick-fil-A or some filet of lamb, you know, and bring it back to to Jesus. And uh, when they got back, they they found that he had already eaten. At least that's what their interpretation was. And so they grilled each other which is kind of comical when you think about it. You know, they, they had all gone into town. They all came back, and somehow someone's thinking somewhere in that brief moment of time, somebody slipped Jesus a burger, you know, or something. And they said, well, it, you know, did they, one of you guys give him something to eat? Come on, that's not fair. We all went to, you know, you can just kind of imagine it, Right. But Jesus clears up the confusion by telling them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. In other words, what he's saying is there's something more important than food. There's something more important in life than satisfying hunger. And that is doing the will of God and accomplishing his work, and what is true for Jesus is equally true for us. You know, Jesus. Jesus makes it very clear that, you know, um, you know, he 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 says the. Um, uh, concerning God's word, he says that you know, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. He takes a, a step further here to say it's not just that we, 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 we feed off of God's word, but we must obey God's word. That's why he says, my food is to do the will of the Father. That is to obey True satisfaction and fulfillment only comes from doing God's will and accomplishing his work. Let's look at verse 35. He says, Do you not say that there are four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already, the one who reaps is receiving wages, and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that the sower and the reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. Now notice Jesus doesn't say that the fields are ready to be plowed or they're ready to be planted. He said, the field is ready for harvest. See, there's a time for sowing. There's a time for plowing. There's a time for for planting. And there's a time for harvest. And he told his disciples, lift your eyes. Look. Tell me, what do you see? The townspeople were all coming out to Jesus And Jesus says, the harvest is now. Now, the disciples did nothing to contribute to this. To the best of our knowledge, the disciples were not involved with the conversation uh, with uh, the Samaritan woman. um, And she and all of the people, however, were coming out to Jesus And when Jesus says in verse 36, already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, he's most likely referring to himself. He's about to reap a bountiful harvest of souls. Where it says, so that the sower and the reaper may rejoice together. The sower may be a reference to his predecessor, John the Baptist, or perhaps even to the Old Testament prophets who pointed to the coming of the Messiah. But who are the others in verse 38? Jesus mentions the others. Certainly, this would include Jesus and John the Baptist. But in regards to what happened in Samaria, I'm inclined to think it also includes the woman. Because she went back to town And she sowed some seed. She planted. She gave a testimony. She gave an invitation. And people responded. In a similar way, when we come to reap souls for the kingdom, we need to understand that chances are there have been many people who have gone before us who have sowed seed in their hearts um, oftentimes if, if you're fortunate enough to be able to actually pray with somebody and lead them to Christ, um, it's, it would, it, it's, it's unusual, it's rare, that we're the one that sows the seed, waters the seed, and then reaps the harvest. Oftentimes we're reaping a harvest from seeds that have been sown by other people laborers. And I, I just started to think about how, how is this true? Who are, who are the people that we could point to that would have had at least some small part in our conversion? And, and I was thinking, well, we could start obviously with Jesus. Then we can move on to the apostles who penned the words to the New Testament so that we could know who God is to begin with and know how to be saved And then there are the martyrs, the missionaries, the pastors and teachers that we've had throughout our lives. How about the Bible translators that have given us the scripture in a language that we can understand? Or evangelists like Billy Graham or the publishers of all the books that we like to buy, the authors who wrote them. And what of godly parents and godly grandparents and friends and other family members? My point is is that if if we are in Christ, most likely we're in Christ because there have been a lot of people involved in our life. Many of us came to faith um, as young children. Some of us came to faith later in life, but there were seeds that were sown many times in earlier years. I remember... um, working at Lakewood Camping Resort in South Carolina, Uh, worked there for many years. It was a very unusual uh, situation. It was a campground owned by um, a couple who were committed to Christ, and they wanted to have a full-blown church located right there in the campground so that people could hear the gospel. So on any given day during the summer, we would have roughly 10,000 people in that campground. I mean, it's like a small city or town. And we pulled out every stop we could to try to get the gospel out. Of course, we had church services on Sunday morning. Remember those uh, overlooking the beach, you see the, the the ocean. It was really really beautiful, um, you know. But you're sitting on these like wooden benches and getting slivers in your rear end, and and it's hot and everything else. But it was it was great. But throughout the week, we had children's programs, athletic outreaches, teen pizza parties. We had uh, bonfire parties. We had all sorts of things. But we used all of those events to lead people to Jesus to share testimonies and. And uh, to present the gospel. And it never failed. Each year, we, we averaged around 600 decisions for Christ. Now, I realize that that doesn't necessarily translate into disciples, but many of them did become followers of Christ. God used me in that. And I still look back at those days as being some of the richest of my time. I love sharing the gospel. I love seeing people respond to Jesus. And there was one gal in particular who was from Ohio who um, I did not get to lead to the Lord, but I got to sow some seeds. Um, She came down from Ohio every summer and she loved playing volleyball. And we would play volleyball, we'd have volleyball tournaments, and, and, uh, but I would share the gospel with her. She came from, um, um, it was an Irish Catholic background, if I remember, and I just remember every summer it was like kind of sharing the same thing I shared the summer before. Well, years went by, and uh, one day uh, a good friend of ours uh, called and said, hey, um, this gal uh, has been trying to reach you. And I said, oh, okay, well, just you know, give her my number, give her my number. She ends up calling, and she says, the reason why I'm calling, and I know I haven't seen you in years, I said, but I just wanted you to know that I've given my life to Christ. And I know that that wouldn't have happened if you didn't take the time to share the gospel with me. And it just made me not only thankful to the Lord and ecstatic that somebody else was now in the kingdom, but it also made me wonder how many people have we impacted with our lives that we will never know about, who could never pick up the phone to call us because they wouldn't know where to start. And, and yet Jesus is saying here to his disciples that, guys, I'm sending you out to reap, where you have not worked, where you have not labored. They, they didn't even sow the seed, but they get the chance to reap. And sometimes that happens to us. It's happened to me. God has done the work in somebody else's life, and I get to lead them and pray with them. And at other times, it's more like with this gal at the park. So, in 1 Corinthians 3, you can turn there if you want. I just want to read what Paul says in verse 7 and 8. He says, so neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. See, we're not, just doing, we're not doing our own thing. We're not trying to get glory for ourselves. We're we're working for King Jesus. And whether it's sowing, watering, or reaping, we're in this thing together. It's a team effort, if you would. We don't always get to be the sower and the reaper. Most of the time, it's either sowing um, or or, or watering or reaping, Um, such as the case in our story here this morning. So while the disciples were out grocery shopping, Jesus was at work talking with the woman at the well. And even now, as Jesus is teaching his disciples about evangelism, the woman is actually doing it. Do you see that? He's talking to them, giving them some principles, trying to help them understand. But the woman is in town doing what they ought to be doing. And most of us here know far more Bible than this woman did. Yet what are we doing with the gospel? There comes a point in time when we have to do rather than study. And I'm afraid a, a lot of Christians are, are content with studying and learning about evangelism rather than doing it. Sometimes we've, we've got to put the Bible down. And we need to go to the people who need Jesus and we need to tell them what he has done for us and point them to Jesus just like this woman did. And what is most telling and perhaps most embarrassing is that the disciples had been in town while the woman was at the well with Jesus. And apparently they said nothing. And did nothing. Because they didn't bring a single person from town to Jesus. But this woman went into town. And simply told them what she encountered. What she heard. What she saw. And the whole town came out to meet Jesus. Again, I ask, what are we doing with the gospel? We can't afford to turn a blind eye to people who are in need. We can't afford to be distracted or delayed by the things of this world. And folks, let me tell you, we are distracted and we are delayed. We are enamored with entertainment, with our own comfort. We 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 are just so um, lackadaisical and apathetic about sharing the gospel. It's, it's, it's not a good thing and, and, and the, the thing is is that, as Robbie Gallity has said, the gospel came to us because it was headed to somebody else. God wants to use us in the lives of other people. We can't chase pleasure or power, fame or fortune. we have to be about. The will of the Father. We have to be accomplishing his work. That's where true satisfaction comes from. It doesn't come from pursuing all these things. It doesn't come from comfort or from security. It comes from doing the will of God and accomplishing his work. For the disciples in this story, it's a sad truth that this opportunity for them was lost. They, they couldn't put the genie back in the bottle. They couldn't go back to town and, do, and, and, and have a redo there. But they can at the well. And I think that's kind of what Jesus is getting to. They now have an opportunity to reap where they did not sow. They just needed to open their eyes and see it. You know, these people that were coming out, they weren't coming out for a leisurely stroll in the Samaritan sun. They were coming out with a purpose. They were coming in response to the invitation and the testimony of the Samaritan woman. Now, before I go any further, I want to be clear. This story is not suggesting that everybody that we go to is going to respond positively. You know, we can kind of take the story and say, oh, wow, so if I go into my neighborhood or my community or my workplace and I do this, this is what's going to happen. Not necessarily so. But no one will have a chance to do that if we don't go. We have to open our eyes. We have to be attuned to what the Holy Spirit is doing around us. We have to have eyes to see it. We have to be faithful in proclaiming the gospel, whether it is in sowing or watering, and we need to be prepared to reap a harvest of souls. Like I said earlier, it's a team effort. And no matter which part we play, whether it's sowing or watering or reaping, we all get to rejoice together. And not just us. All of heaven rejoices. Luke tells us in in verse 15, he says, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Heaven is looking down and seeing what is happening. And they rejoice when we are faithful to the call of God in our life. So how does this story conclude? Let's look at verse 39 and following. "'Tis many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word." And they said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. This, is, this passage is so freeing to me. You know, the woman gives her testimony. She issues an invitation, and they they took her at her word. They believed her enough to, to move their feet and go up to see Jesus. But then they say, we no longer believe because of what you said, just because of what you said, but because of his word. And many more came to believe in Jesus. And we indeed know that he is the savior of the world. You see how simple it is? We All we have to do is point the way. And when people meet Jesus, he does the work. It's his word that transforms people's lives. We are born again, not of perishable seed, but imperishable seed. That is by the living and abiding word of God. And it just takes the pressure off. I can't save anybody, but I can point them to one who can. So like the woman at the well, the people were captivated by Jesus, so much so that they asked him to stay with them, and he did so for two more days. Can you just imagine what the disciples were thinking and feeling? Because I don't think they got it yet. In fact, we know that they didn't get it for a long time. And and again, I, I must be thinking, it's like, Lord, why did we have to come through Samaria? Why are you talking to this woman? Why in the world are we staying here two more days? Why don't we get out of this country? Jesus still had a lot to teach them as well as the Samaritan people. Their faith was being stretched. And I would say that For us, I think God wants to stretch our faith too. Jesus' excursion to Samaria was not an afterthought. It was a divine appointment. And the story answers some some good questions for us. You know, we know he went there because he had work to do, because he had lessons to teach um, his disciples and us. And... We know that true satisfaction only comes from obeying the will of the Father and accomplishing his work. Jesus said as much. But the questions that, that, that I have asked myself is you, know, is, you know, how do I know God loves me? And I look at this passage and I go, this is proof right here. If you've ever doubted whether God loves you, this story ought to answer that with a resounding yes. Because Jesus left Judea, he went into Samaria of all places, and he talked with a woman of all people, and an immoral woman, and he reveals himself to her, indicating to me that he loves everyone, regardless of their social status, regardless of their race, or their creed, their background, their history, their failures, their sin, Jesus loves everyone us. And that's why he came to earth. So maybe you're here this morning and you you feel like this woman. You feel like a social outcast. You feel like you're unwanted, unloved. You feel rejected or misunderstood or alone. Well, you know, a lot of that may be true. And a lot of that is true because you're a sinner like all of us. And our sin has separated us from God and from one another. But praise God, he didn't leave us to to, to wallow in the mire and be lost for eternity. God devised a solution in the person of Jesus Christ, and he sent him from heaven to earth to die on the cross for our sins so that not only we could be forgiven, but we could be brought back into right relationship with him. And we could have our earthly relationships reconciled as well. This morning, if you're here and you do not have a saving relationship with Christ, if you're watching online and, and you know you don't have a saving relationship with Christ, I urge you today, bend your knee to King Jesus. Tell him what he already knows, that you're a sinner that, that you deserve his just punishment, but you're throwing yourself at the foot of the cross saying, Lord Jesus, save me, take me, use me, change me, make me more like yourself. God knows your heart. It's not the words that you have to be concerned about. It's your heart. Are you willing to turn from your sin and receive the Lord Jesus as your savior this morning? And if you know Christ, Maybe you're wondering still, can God really use me? Well, again, I want to point you to this story. Consider this woman. She didn't have a degree in theology. She didn't have any special gifting or special training. She simply had an encounter with Jesus, was changed by Jesus, and then was used by Jesus to tell other people about Jesus. Lift your eyes. What will you see? I have no doubt that out there somewhere is a field white unto harvest for all of us if we have eyes to see. May God give us eyes to see and a heart to obey and may there be many more lovers of Jesus in his kingdom as a result of our desire to honor God by obeying his will and accomplishing his work. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for our time together this morning and for your word to us. Lord, thank you for the encouragement of looking at this woman and how you used her, how you changed her, first of all, but how you used her. And then, Lord, how patient you were with the disciples and how much more patient you're going to be with them over the coming months and years. Lord, I pray that you would be patient with us. Don't let us be content with the status quo. Don't, don't let us keep the gospel to ourselves, but Lord, use us for the furtherance of your kingdom, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.